and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, specific Christless philosophies are identified to help us be safe and rooted in Jesus Christ. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott presents. According to verse 7, being established has the raw material of instruction, biblical instruction, and the lovely end product of an overflowing gratitude. And now we come to the next verse 8, which is a warning. And the warning is, see to it that no one takes you captive. In the Greek, see to it that no one kidnaps you through philosophy and empty deception, etc. Madeline McCann was kidnapped by so far unidentified kidnapper or kidnappers. But church, we all can be kidnapped by four kidnappers which scripture does identify. Number one, philosophy, literally the love of wisdom. Number two, empty deception can kidnap you. Number three, human traditions can kidnap you. And four, elementary principles of the world can kidnap you. We're going to unpack philosophy, humanistic philosophy in a moment. But let me say that the empty deception fails to deliver on what it promises. Remember when they were selling internet web pages way back, you know, get www.ibm.com because then IBM will be stumped and they'll have to buy it off of you. Didn't work out that way, did it? Empty deception. You buy something that's going to be so tripped to make you rich and it's hollow, it's empty, it's nothing. That can kidnap a Christian. Human traditions and elementary principles of the world are a way of saying the ABCs of all other world religions. And what are the ABCs of all other world religions? Merit, works, and ritual. So these four kidnappers, philosophy, empty deception, human traditions, and elementary principles of the world still come after you when you're sleeping. Still come after me when I'm sleeping, in our luxuries when we're sleeping as an affluent church that's aboard with Jesus Christ church. These four kidnappers still come after us when we've decided that the babysitters of the Bible and Christian accountability and disciplined discipleship are not really necessary for us. When we come to those conclusions that good grace babysitters that God's provided to watch over us are not for us, then we are at risk of being kidnapped by humanistic philosophies. So let me focus on just some humanistic philosophies. They are all empty deception. They are human tradition. They are based on the elementary principles of the world system that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out. And just before I give you these philosophies, the last phrase, if I wrote in my Bible, and I do, I would have you write a line under, rather than according to Christ. When you're contemplating a philosophy, ask yourself, is it according to Christ? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it line up with the values and the truths about Christ that are in Scripture? 
What are some philosophies that could take you captive, that could kidnap you? Post-modernity, post-modernism. It's the rejection of all prior assumptions, especially relative to absolute truth. This philosophy says what's right for any of us is up to us. Big philosophy today. Second, objectivism. Objectivism is that all reality is objective and external. All reality is observable, repeatable, and predictable. This makes science a god. There was a president in his inaugural address not too long ago who said, we will restore science to its proper place. Objectivism. Number three, pragmatism. This is the philosophy that theory must be linked to practice. Theory must be linked to practice. And something working is far more important than whether or not it's ethically right or wrong. Atheism is the philosophy that rejects the very existence of God either due to there never having been a God or due to God dying in the 20th century. Atheism says there's no one to answer to. The philosophy next of mysticism. This is an old and a deceptive philosophy that's dressed up in current hip clothing. Mysticism says that groundless speculation and personal subjective experience trumps propositional and knowable truth. Groundless speculation and personal subjective experience is more important than what is true for everybody. Top 40 radio sings about it. Love is a fleeting feeling. Or there's the philosophy of the new age, which is really Hinduism for Hollywood. Hinduism repackaged for celebrities and rock stars. The new age philosophy is the belief in reincarnation. You die and you come back as something else and you die and you work off your karma, hopefully. It's into holistic healing and ecology. And it says that God, little g, is within you. In fact, it says that you are God. This is as old as pantheism, pan everything, theism God. Pantheism says everything is God. The seat you're sitting on is God. The carpet you're standing on is God. Your hairbrush is God. Your dog is God. That's pantheism. Panentheism is everything in theism. God is in everything. God is in everything. God is in your calculus exam. (laughs) Hard to believe in that. And New Age philosophy basically says, I am God, I can heal myself, I can get multiple lives to get it right, and that nature is to be worshipped. How many of you, (laughs) don't raise your hands, when I invite someone to, to, to church to worship with all of you, and they say, the golf course is my God. Really? The way I play golf, that'd be terrible. And last, at least the last I'm going to share with you this morning is spiritism, the philosophy that elevates demonic powers in and over creation to give life answers. This is all over the place. Christians reading horoscopes? Please. Clairvoyance? Seances? Palm readers? Tarot cards? Ouija boards? Fortune tellers? Communications with the dead? 
spiritism, the philosophy that you really can't have answers in God, you have to look elsewhere to the antithesis of God to get your real answers. Their secret answers are in these things, which are really demonic powers. And so which of these philosophies I've cited is the worst, you asked? Is it postmodernity or objectivism or pragmatism or atheism or mysticism or new age or spiritism? Asking which of these philosophies is worse is like asking of these things I'm going to list, which is worse? The gallows, lethal injection, skydiving without a parachute, scuba diving without a tank, putting on a bulletproof vest and asking your friend to shoot you, which happened in South Carolina on May the 14th and a 25-year-old man was killed. Which of these philosophies is worse? That's like asking... What's worse, jumping in front of a subway train or eating rat poison? All of these philosophies will kidnap you from Christ if you fall in. All of these will kill your sanctification, kill your spiritual maturity, and kill your Christian life stability if you get sucked into them. All of these philosophies have the potential to kidnap you in a heartbeat. And we See it happen. 80% of our young people from evangelical Christian churches who go to secular universities jettison and ditch their faith in Christ before graduation. That's what George Barna tells us in his survey. This is serious. Philosophies that aren't rooted in Jesus Christ are serious. And now today's personal God story. Hello, my name is Liz Lim, and this is my God story. My spiritual journey started at a young age. I was privileged to have been brought up in a Christian home. Both of my parents were believers in Christ, and they took me and my siblings to Sunday school every Sunday. There I learned that I was a sinner who needed Jesus as Savior. I believe that, and I prayed many times for Jesus to come into my life. But it seemed that nothing happened. I didn't feel any different. Then one day, when I was about 10 years old, I was reading a gospel tract that explained that salvation isn't based on feelings, but on trusting Jesus and believing in God's word. By coming to know Jesus Christ at an early age, I know that God has spared me from going down many destructive paths, and I'm thankful for this. But I questioned my purpose in life. It was in university that my faith really grew through the Christian fellowship and good teaching provided by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And after graduating and working for some years, my desire was to be a missionary or to be involved in full-time Christian work. I applied to several organizations, but after consulting with a few respected Christian leaders, including Pastor Lee, I attended a year of Bible seminary to obtain some background and necessary training. Following that, I spent some time in short-term missionary work in Puerto Rico and also in the Bahamas. During this time while I was away, my former employer called me to return to work with them. And my father, though he was a Christian, was not keen on my missionary ambitions and was eager for me to return home. So I returned to the, quote, secular work, But I found joy in being able to give financially to support missions and missionaries. 
Living for God wherever he places me has given me purpose. The Bible says, He died for all, that Jesus died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's how I want to live. Today's Help for the Hurting segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning and thank you again for having us in your homes. We are talking about marriage and we began two weeks ago and last week we mentioned about something that I saw on a billboard that said, enjoy the wedding, invite me to the marriage, sign God. This sign, as I indicated the last time is very significant because it's unfortunate that it seemed today that most of the efforts are placed on the day. What kind of wedding it's going to be, how many guests you're going to have, or what kind of dress you're going to wear. But sooner than later, the bills start coming in. McGee would say, it's where the rubber meets the road that's when the real person stands up. Are you going to still send the love notes? Are you still going to be looking forward to coming home to your spouse? And we talked about security. That is very important in a marriage relationship and companionship. But there's another thing that I think we need to look at that we dare not miss because this is important in marriage and is what we call sex. What does sex have to do with it? Well, I guess um, sex is God's gift to the marriage. It um, shows our oneness through the physical intimacy in the marriage. And I really want to stress in the marriage. marriage yes. Sex outside of marriage is sinful and immoral and I'm not here to judge anyone but that's the reality of it is God's gift and it's enjoyed in that bond that holy bond of matrimony and I think as we come together you know after the wedding ceremony and everything and you go on the honeymoon you really really can say this is God's gift yes this isn't just um, watching the Hollywood stars or reading pornography and getting a high off that. This is God's gift, okay? I think too many times we tend to think that sex is just something that we, as children or even in our society today, people feel, okay, I have to experience this before to know whether we are compatible. Yes. And what happens is people then enter the marriage and they find out they have all this baggage 
because they start out wrong. Yes. They didn't come into it believing that God has this gift and we need to delay and wait until the proper time. In other words, uh, like Songs of Solomon say, don't stir up love or don't awake love. There's a time for it. Right. So if you end up, you know, um, trying to experience this before, this is where a lot of problem comes in. And we see this coming through the constant center doors all the time with persons fighting and, not, and then trust issue comes in too. Yes. Because they then said, okay, I'm not sure I could trust you because you had experience with John or Mary or whoever. So it, it's really important for those who are dating or already married, make sure you keep this gift in the marriage or you are dating wait until God's time and you are married. Okay. I'm, I'm hearing you loud and clear, but may I add to that as well? There is also a greater expectation after you are married if you are sexually active before marriage. You tend to anticipate something greater and then you become discouraged when it's the same old, same old, you say. It's unfortunate, but that's a real problem that we are facing today as we counsel couples. They want to make sure that they are compatible, as you say, by having sex, but that does not say whether you are compatible or not. Um, because sometimes the very thing that draws you together is the very thing that causes you to separate. Mm -hmm. So we need to be careful that when we are involved in sex, we are talking about married couples, not unmarried couples. And I know the world does not see it that way, but I, I dare say to you that if you really want a good relationship, you need to know your mate after you say, I do, and not before. Thank you again for listening, and we will pick up next time from here. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Did Jesus really mean self-mutilation in Matthew 5, 29 and 30? That's where Jesus said, basically, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So the question is, did Jesus really mean self-mutilation in that teaching? The answer is no, he didn't. He was using a figure of speech called hyperbole. Uh, hyperbole uh, is an exaggeration to make a point. Uh, hyper, as part of the word, means beyond. And bole means to throw. So the figure of speech called hyperbole uh, throws beyond 
the normal to make a point for emphasis. Um, and uh, example would be, I could, I could eat a horse. Well, uh, not really interested in eating horse meat, but I'm saying I could eat a horse that I'm so hungry, uh, so it's a hyperbole. And so Jesus said, pluck out your eye or cut off your hand for emphasis to, to make the point that avoid sin. Do whatever it takes to avoid sin through your eyes or to dev- avoid sin through your hands. Jesus was making an emphatic point. The other way you can know it's a figure of speech is it doesn't make plain sense for Jesus to have you maim yourself. Uh, plain, when the plain sense in the scriptures don't make good sense, seek no other sense or you're going to be left with nonsense. There are figures of speech in the Bible. Hyperbole is one of them. Uh, there are many others, like when God says that he wanted to gather believers under his wing. Uh, God the Father doesn't have a wing. He's not a bird. Uh, he has a loving, tender, compassionate, protective heart. And uh, the wing was just a way of, of pointing that out. So when the plain sense of a scripture verse doesn't make good sense, don't seek any other sense, or you're going to be left with nonsense. But here we have a case where Jesus makes an exaggerated point to make an emphatic point that if your eyes are causing you to sin, then do whatever it takes to stop your eyes from sinning. If your hand is causing you to sin, then do whatever it takes to stop your hand from sinning. In practical terms, if uh, if your problem is pornography as a man, and you're trying to battle that, uh, have victory over that sin, and the place where you... Um, Buy Milk has uh, pornographic uh, magazines on display near the cash register, then stop buying milk at that store and go to a store that doesn't have that kind of thing on display. Um, Do whatever it takes to um, stop sinning with your eyes. Do whatever it takes to stop sinning with your hand. Also, um, if you aren't inclined to put software on your computer to block it from pornographic websites, then shut down your computer. Do whatever it takes to um, stop sinning with your eyes. All right, next question. Please explain James 5, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Is this physical or spiritual death? Physical or spiritual death? The answer is it is eternal death, not physical death. Eternal death is the separation of the soul, spirit, and resurrected body from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. So James 5, 19 and 20, when it refers to death, is talking about eternal death, going to hell. Because, number one, a believer, a true believer, is not called a sinner in Scripture. Quite the contrary, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 2, those sinning saints at uh, Corinth were called um, saints, although their lives were messed up in sin. If there was ever a time for the New Testament to call born-again believers sinners, it would have been addressing the church at Corinth, but they weren't called sinners. Number two, apostates, those who fall away from the truth, face eternal damnation. That would be uh, Hebrews 6, 9 to 14. Number three, apostates have dead and inauthentic faith. James 2, 14 to 26. Remember, we're answering the question, is the death referred to in James 5, 19 to 20, physical death or healing death? It is neither. It is eternal death. It's going to hell. 
going back to why I see it that way, for a multitude of sins, that phrase appears, a multitude of sins emphasizes the hopelessness of people who wind up apostatizing, falling away from truth. And um, that is my answer for that. The next question in Matthew ten forty one, a, a prophet's reward and a righteous man's reward are both mentioned. What are these rewards? The answer is that there's no reason to have to conclude that these two are unique rewards that are different from each other. The point that the Lord was making here was that we, in some way, share in the reward of any type of his servants who we receive and assist. And the expansion of this is in the preceding verse, in verse 40. In the same way, in the positive sense, this understanding of the verse lines up with those who stayed by the stuff or the baggage during the war with the Amalekites. Uh, they were given an equal share of the booty or the spoils of that war as the combatants received who actually fought the battles. And that's uh, in First Samuel 30, 21 to 25. In the negative aspect, this lines up with the warning about not providing hospitality to deceiving false teachers. And that can be read of in Second John, near the back of the New Testament, Second John, verse 10. And so to recap the answer, Jesus was teaching about things like, one, a representative authority, two, partnering with legitimate servants of God, and three, general sharing in reward. We are not told if the actual rewards for a prophet and for a righteous man differ. The verse doesn't speak to that. It would seem, though, that a righteous man, the term is reinforced as a synonymous term, another way of saying the same thing with the term a prophet. And if this is the case, it may be that it's really only one reward. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.